I will not preach on any of the scripture texts today. On September 11th in 2001, 19 terrorists, all affiliated with Al-Qaeda, 15 of whom were citizens of Saudi Arabia, hijacked four airplanes with the specific goal to turn them into missiles to murder as many Americans as possible. They murdered a total of 2,977 people, men, women, eight children, and 10 babies still in their mother's wombs. Among the dead were 344 firefighters, 71 law enforcement officers, and 55 military personnel at the Pentagon. Some 6,000 people were injured. Approximately 1,140 New Yorkers, mostly rescue personnel, were diagnosed with cancer as a result of the toxic pollutants created by the attack. And well over 1,000 rescue personnel have since died from diseases associated with the attack. Americans were not the only ones who were murdered. There were 371 foreign nationals as well, from the United Kingdom, the Dominican Republic, India, Greece, South Korea, Canada, Japan, Colombia, Jamaica, the Philippines, Mexico, the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, Ecuador, Australia, Germany, Italy, Bangladesh, Ireland, Pakistan, and Poland. The murderers forever altered the trajectory of the lives of wives, husbands, children, parents, siblings, and friends of the victims. They shattered the lives of the families of police officers, firefighters, and rescue personnel who either perished or suffered long-term effects from the attacks. We often hear our politicians tell us that we must never forget what happened on 9-11. They are absolutely correct. Rarely, however, do they tell us that we should also remember why 9-11 happened. Experts tell us there are complex, tangled, international, geopolitical factors. That is also true. But there is a glaring factor never mentioned. It is a very distressing factor for all who adhere to any religion. Because deep down, we all know as fallen creatures, no religion is immune from it. The use of religion to justify hatred and violence. The atrocities of 9-11 were done in the name of Islam. They were meticulously planned, calculated, funded by, and carried out by fanatical Muslims in the name of their God. On October 12th, in 2001, just a month after the attacks, Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal came to New York City 
and offered Mayor Giuliani a $10 million check toward a relief fund. The prince then told the American people that the attack was the consequence of American foreign policy in the Middle East, and our government, and I quote, should adopt a more balanced stand toward the Palestinian state cause, close quote. The prince attempted to justify the atrocities committed by 15 of his countrymen, and in so doing taught the West a lesson it ignores at its peril. That in Islam, there is no separation between church or religion and state. Religion and state are one. Defying all diplomatic protocol, Mayor Giuliani refused the check and candidly told the prince, quote, there is no justification for it. The people who did it lost any right to seek any justification, close quote. What compelled the Saudi prince, a highly educated and enlightened man, to say such a thing? Saudi Arabia has always rigorously enforced uncompromising religious hatred toward the West and even other Muslims who do not bend to the Sunni Wahhabi sect of Islam. We tend to forget in the West that Islam is divided into various sects or denominations, if you will, and they do not get along well at all. All Saudi schoolchildren are brainwashed from kindergarten to high school in a relentless indoctrination of religious hatred. Jews are called monkeys and portrayed as always scheming to destroy Muslim holy sites. Christians are referred to as enemies of the true believer, as are all other non-Sunni Muslims. This steady, relentless diet of religious hatred permeates the Saudi educational system and society. Fifteen of the murderers of 9-11 were the products of this system, and there are many Muslims today who will call them martyrs. How you can be a martyr for destroying innocent lives, even the lives of unborn children, I do not comprehend. The West even now refuses to wake up, preferring politically correct speech that insists that Islam is a religion of peace. Many devout Muslims are people of peace. I've met many when I did my studies in Washington, D.C. Many from around the world condemn the attacks and the hijacking of their religion to commit such evils, and there are some who paid a heavy price for speaking out. The majority of Muslims in our country live in harmonious relations with people of other religions in our cities, and they enhance the culture of our, nat of our nation. Some serve in our military with distinction. They are good citizens who deserve to be honored and respected as such. Nevertheless, we cannot escape the truth that Islam which means submission, 
sees itself through its scripture as the only truly revealed religion, and true believers have a duty to bring all humanity to submit to Islam, preferably peacefully, but if not, then by those measures they have the power to use. In many Muslim countries, for example, Christians are forbidden to build or repair their churches or must endure years of bureaucratic obstacles to seek permission, which is usually denied. In Turkey, the Greek Orthodox Church is forbidden to use its seminary to train men for the priesthood. And in some Muslim countries, violence is used to force conversions to Islam. Why? What many in the West don't want to hear is that Islam sees Christianity as a distorted and deformed religion that must be converted to Islam or, in extreme cases, be wiped out. On September 12, 2006, Pope Benedict XVI gave a lecture in Regensburg, Bavaria, on the roles of faith and reason in religion, stressing a critical point that faith, not guided by reason, lays the groundwork for fanaticism and all the evils that it creates. The Pope quoted a 14th century Byzantine emperor, Manuel II, who addressed a Persian scholar. The emperor said, show me just what Muhammad brought that was new and there you will find only things that are evil and inhuman, such as his command to spread by the sword the faith he preached. The Pope dared to raise the historical reality that Islam has justified the use of violence against non-believers. Well, Muslims around the world were furious, insisting their religion the only true religion is the religion of peace, and then attacked churches on the West Bank, murdered a nun in Somalia, and beheaded a priest in Iraq. In the West, the intelligentsia, government officials, scholars, university progressives and liberals, demonized the Pope for daring to speak such insensitive and hurtful words that stoked the fires of Islamophobia. Some even blamed the Pope for the violence as if the price for peace must be silencing the truth. About eight years later, however, what Islamic movement reemerged on the world stage after having been dormant? ISIS and the world witnessed display after disgusting display of irrational violence, atrocities committed against innocent human beings fueled by religious hatred, the torture of prisoners, persecution of ethnic minorities, beheadings, forced marriages, the murder of other Muslims, hurling gay people off rooftops, and destroying cultural treasures. Pope Benedict's harshest critics in the West and in the Muslim world 
had to eat their words. We must never forget the victims of 9-11. Neither can we forget why 9-11 happened. The perversion of a religion where some Muslims believe they serve their God by committing violence against the innocent and the defenseless. We must never allow our politicians, scholars, even our religious leaders to impose the anesthetic of political correctness on us. Silence is all evil needs to thrive. Americans know that no one is to be judged by their religion or their lack thereof. But we can, we must, judge people on the morality of the acts they commit in the name of their religion, whatever religion that may be.